Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Justin Mark. Now, Justin is head of sales at Habit-Based Lifestyle. I know some of you guys have seen him killing it on Facebook. And today he's been kind enough to come on and he's going to share a little bit about his story. And then we're going to dive into the world of sales and how you could potentially Use that to increase all aspects of business in your life. So, Justin, welcome on, my friend. Yeah, man. Welcome for, or uh, thank you for having me. I'm uh, grateful to be here and, uh, yeah, excited to just chat with you. Yeah, dude, me too. Me too. So, one of the things that I really enjoy is just diving into other people's world and getting a little color around who they are. So, if you would uh, just take a little moment and tell us a little bit about your background, you know, where are you from? How did you grow up? And then we'll dive into some of these more. I guess you'd say important topics. For sure. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't have to spend a ton of time tooting my own horn here. Um, but yeah, I grew up in pretty humble beginnings. Um, you know, I grew up out here in Colorado um, in Aurora, which is just like a suburb of Denver. Um, but, you know, more notably, my mom was a single mom. Um, I never knew my dad. You know, they were always like surrogate dads in and out, but as, uh, you know, nobody really stable in there. So I, I kind of, I like to tell folks I grew up without a male role model. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky in the fact that I had really good friends. Actually, my mom took care of me on that aspect. She always told me like, you got to surround yourself with good people because those people will take care of you. That's a uh, philosophy I've followed for my entire life. But, um, you know, it was tough. We were poor. You know, she she worked three jobs making like $10 an hour. Um, and, you know, we didn't really have much, dude. Like we, I, we did I, I, we didn't have like school clothes every year. Right. It was like school clothes every couple years, like stuff where I'm like bursting out of it. Like, you know, and it's just like, Hey, deal with it, man. Um, you know, and, and as I got older, some of my mom's own demons kind of caught up with her. And, and so she kind of, um, got me to a point where I could, I was pretty self-sufficient. Like I could take care of myself, you know, when I'm like 12 or 13 years old and like, you know, when you're a teenager, you're kind of like, yeah, parents goodbye. Right. And so I kind of pulled away from her. She pulled away from me and, she started drinking a lot and, and had an alcohol problem a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of left to raise myself from, you know, 13 on to 18. And I tell you what, man, it's actually in a miracle that I graduated high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really is, man. Um, pure force of will on my part and knowing that my mom would kick my ass if I didn't. So <laughs> right on, right on. I think I graduated with like a 1.9 GPA. Oh, you skated by, huh? I skated right by, man. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, dude, yeah. talk a little bit about that, man. I mean, I, I know in, in in the modern world, it seems like we've got more and more, um, you know, that sort of familial bond continues to, to shatter. I think like only 18% of families have two parents or something like that. Some crazy oh, low number so like sad. that. Yeah. Like, um, do you feel like you missed out or on anything or do you feel like you, you know, you... Um, you know, gain some, some valuable skills, having to do some things for yourself, you know, without dad in your life kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say it's a little bit of both. I mean, um, respect all respect in the world was that's my mom. I don't know how she did it. I couldn't do it. And I, and I have a wife, right. I'm married and we don't have any kids. I'm thinking, how, how does she do this? Right. Um, but there was a time in my life where I had a really good friend and he had both parents, right. Mm-hmm. So I'd go to his house and spend the night and eat dinner. And I'm looking around going like, man, I'm missing something. Like, this is different, right? Like he, if he has a problem or if something is uh, going on and they had, they're, they're, that family was a unit, right? Mm-hmm. And my family wasn't, 
necessarily a unit. You know, we were survivors. We were we were more of a team, right? And the older I got, the more I was expected to participate in the survival, if that makes sense. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a, a place where it's like, hey, I'm trying to teach you this to make you a better person. Although that was often her intention, it was more like I'm trying to teach you this so that you will survive. Mm. Um, and I did, I did survive, right? I, I've done really well, and, and being poor, and and you know, another thing my mom did for me that backfired a little bit. <laughs> she did it for me though, but she put me in school with. Um, she went to great lengths to get me in school. Like we lived in the ghetto, right? Like we lived in in Colorado. It's called the Five Points. It's actually really nice now, funny enough. Um, but back in the time, like you'd see like a crack dealer right there. I'm like, look out your window, like whoa. What's up, DeAndre? Right. Yeah. Like, uh, and you know, it was really ghetto. And so my mom didn't want me going to school over there. So she went through great lengths to get me to go to a school in nicer parts of town. But that almost kind of made my I was so I remember being so confused. Like I would like be friends with these people and they were they were wealthy, dude. Like, and not even like wealthy, wealthy, but like middle class wealthy, where you know, shoot, you can get a PlayStation for Christmas and that's not crazy. And I just remember going to school with these guys and being like, they thought they've got new stuff. And I'm like, man, what is it about me that I can't have this? You know, like what, what did I, and I'm, I mean, we were religious too. So like, what did I do to God? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I, why do I have to be the poor kid? Why do I have to be the kid that's wearing the same clothes to school this year as he wore last year? Um, and so that really, I think put a, a different kind of motivation in my mind because it, I almost had like a chip on my shoulder. Like I'm going to prove to everybody. And like my teachers were, were pretty hard on me. And like, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm not that guy. I'm not going to, I don't, I made, I don't have something they have. So I have to work 10 times as hard as they do to get to the same place. And then that that's had positives and negatives in my life, I guess you could say. For sure. I can relate to the story of the clothing. Uh, very specifically, there was one winter where my parents couldn't afford to buy me a coat. And I remember just like doubling up on the same old t-shirts or the same long sleeve shirts, you know, just skating by. And I remember just feeling so inadequate in that place and never wanting to actually feel that feeling when I got to a place where I had more control of my life. And, you know, I've seen people in the same spot and sometimes that breaks you and sometimes that builds you. And I mean, what, what was your biggest takeaway from experiences like that? Yeah, man. I mean, Okay. So this is kind of interesting. So when I was like, I was like 10. Okay. I was like 10 and you know, the Broncos around the time, this is when the Broncos were winning Super Bowl back to back. Right. And so like Bronco gear, dude, was like everywhere. If you were anybody, dude, you had to have some Bronco gear. Right. Um, and I, the only piece of Bronco gear I had was a hat that my, my mom's boyfriend bought for me. God bless that dude. Um, but my best friend came over to spend the night at my house and, and his parents had just got him this like slick Bronco starter jacket. You remember the starter jacket? Oh, I remember, man. That was the deal. That was the deal. Yeah. So he was, he had this slick starter jacket for this, uh, for that had the Broncos on it. Right. And I remember he was asleep, dude. And I like, I like took the jacket, man. And I like took it and put it in like our spare bedroom and put it under a bunch of stuff. And I was like, oh, he'll just forget about it. You know? And, uh, Lo and behold, like the next morning he wakes up and he's like, man, where's my Bronco jacket, dude? Like, I got to go home. Like, I need my jacket. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know where it is, you know? And like, uh, eventually he's like searching everywhere and he finds it. He's like, oh, dude, it was, how did it get in there? I was like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. And I remember being, <laughs> yeah, it's magic. <laughs> it's magic. Yeah. Like, why'd you put it there, dude? I didn't put it there. Oh, <laughs> uh, and like, I think for me, 
you know, I didn't know it then. But I mean, first of all, I was so embarrassed the fact that I'd even try to steal from my friend. Like, what what was ten year old me thinking? Like, oh, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, I just got this this new jacket that's exactly the same jacket you lost. Like, we see each other every day. He's my best friend. Um, but he knew what I was trying to do. He caught me red handed, and then he was still my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, funny enough, like I even tried to do that to him again on a different thing on like his PlayStation because I had like this fucked up old PlayStation that my uncle got me overseas. And it would like, wouldn't, it would like skip and stuff anyway. So I did try to do the same thing. He caught me doing it again. And so he was like one of the first people, um, and doing wrong. My mom definitely loved me, but she had a hard time showing that because of how she was raised. Sure. So my friend Adam was like one person, they were the first person in my life to really show me unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna get choked up. <laughs> and I don't know if I would have had the strength to go and and be as motivated as I, as I was to find that better life if I hadn't have been around his family and him and and uh still had him in my life after after like the shit that I did to him as a fucked up 10 year old. <laughs> mm. Dude, that's <laughs> super that powerful, sense. man. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, bro. I remember those days like uh, I remember envying a lot of my friends that had the Jordans and you know all this mm-hmm. stuff back in the day and you know my parents were just not going to buy that stuff for me. It just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> You know, so I can totally remember those days. But yeah, so your friend Adam, did you end up spending lots of time with him and his family during those years? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we would we would stay at each other's houses like every weekend. Um, you know, his family was really good about like, you know, I wasn't allowed to stay over there on on Saturday nights because they were going to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like if he was out, he had to be back by dinner. They always had dinner together. Um, and yeah, like every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, I was always invited. I had to go over there um, and, and share the holidays with them, which is really cool. So if I had just been left to my own without having that kind of support system, I mean, I definitely could have, I could have seen myself, you know, finding a different kind of friend that might've taken advantage of me Yeah, because I was naive, you know, and I should, I still am in some ways. Yeah. You know, I remember back in those days and, you know, experiencing some of what you're talking about. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, this is, this is not my life. Like this is, it's almost like I always knew that I was destined to create more than that. Cause my dad always had this phrase, you know, you know, son, you know, I'm just trying to pay the bills, you know? And of course, you know, if you set your sights at paying the bills, that's what you'll do. Yeah. And so that's what he did was he paid the bills, but it, there was never uh, an aspect of thriving and what he wanted to create. It was just, you know, we're going to get by, you know, when you are, totally. when you look back, do you, do you see yourself, you know, in that role as someone who always knew you were going to break free from it? Or was that more of a challenge? That was probably more of a challenge. I do remember thinking to myself and hoping this is kind of, I don't show this a lot of people, but fuck it, man. Um, (laughs) I used to hope that like I was an alien or something, you know, I'd be like, man, like this can't be real. Like, you know, one day I'm going to get abducted by aliens and they're going to be like, Hey man, like you're not actually a human being. Like you're an alien. And you just, we just had to put you there for some other reason, you know, and, and it's going to be okay. Um, but I remember seeing my mom, like my mom always had like the back of an envelope with like the bills, you yeah. know, and she'd like write out all the bills, like rent and car payment, insurance, food and all that stuff. And I always remember seeing that. And I remember thinking to myself as a kid, like, man, I will never, ever, ever have to map out my money like that. Mm. You know, like I'll never, I'll never be able to do that math and have negative $10 left. Right. Like, and not to say that happened for me, uh, we're getting there, but that was something that I, I always saw and I'll never forget, um, is, you know, she would do that math. And sometimes dude, there, that would be a negative number at the bottom. Right. And it's like, 
you know, she didn't know anything about credit. She didn't have credit. Um, she had to go out and, and get help, you know, from whether that was like her boyfriend or from family or we're not, we didn't really have any family, but like friends, you know, stuff like that, or just not pay some bills some months. Right. For sure. Um, yeah. And it was, a. Uh, it was scary for me as a kid. I mean, sometimes it would be like, Hey, we've got 20 bucks to go to the grocery store. Like, let's be really strategic here. <laughs> and at the time <laughs> I hated it. But now it's like, I, okay, that, that definitely instills some strategy in me for other things. Right. Yeah. Strategic is being kind, right? <laughs> That's right. Man. It's like, Oh, sorry. Like we can't get, so can't get $5 pack of soda. We only got 20 bucks, man. That's Gotta it. get that Kool-Aid. <laughs> for sure, man. For sure. It's amazing how those things, uh, you know, show up in your memory and, and can motivate you sometimes when we don't think about it, you know, when we look back on it, it's like, damn, that really did have an impact on me. I remember, yeah. um, you know, the situation, with my father, you know, talking about, well, son, I'm just paying the bills kind of a thing. You know, I love my dad, mm-hmm. but he talks kind of defeated, you know, old Southern yeah. Baptist defeated, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just remember thinking, you know, I'm never going to be like that. I don't want, I don't want that to be my outlook or my you know, what pervades my mentality, you know, and like, uh, what was it? Is it Jim Rohn that said there's, you know, you never want to have too much month at the end of the money. And, and, you know, I saw that a lot in him, you know, so, um, you know, now that you've gotten away from that and you've gotten a little bit more perspective, you started your own thing, you know, what do you look back on those thoughts with now in terms of, you know, your, your, your sort of outlook or your emotional state, do you have fond memories of that? Or do you have some gratitude toward that? What does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, well, I'll tell you, I was a, I was a shithead, man. I I didn't talk to my mom for like three years up until recently. Um, and I blamed her for a lot of my problems, like in total victim mode, right? Like, Oh, you're a narcissist and you abused me and, um, you didn't prepare me for life. And, you know, that stuff's true, dude. Like she did her best. Um, and so I look at it with a lot of gratitude because, because I'm smart, but I'm also lazy. And so, and I know that about myself. And so if I would have grown up in the same way, some of my friends did, I would be happy just getting a 50, 60 K a year job at a company and doing the same thing for 40 years. And then, you know, passing on a little bit of, of, of savings to my kids and, and just disappearing off into the blue yonder. Right. Mm. Um, but being, being who I was as a kid and feeling like everything I was asking for from my mom was like this monumental ask. I remember asking her for a pair of skate shoes and she was like, yeah, how much are they? I was like, they're 120 bucks. And she was like, you gotta be shitting me, Justin. Right. And I'm like, mom, this is one pair of shoes for like the whole last 15, like one pair of shoes for the whole year is all I want. These one shoes. Uh, and she made it happen, dude. That's the incredible part. She made it happen. Okay. Get this. She made that happen. And then two months into the school year, three months into the school year, I broke my leg. And in the process of, of, of getting triage for my broken leg, they cut the fucking shoe off my foot. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't tell me you broke your leg on the shoes. Oh, dude, I, I broke my leg, like jumping off. Me and my friend were jumping off the top of his shed, like just doing like, like spin moves and stuff just to see who could do more and better. And yeah, like he did a 360. So I got up there. I was going to do a 360. It didn't, didn't work out very well. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously not, man. Obviously not. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's such a great thing, man. I think, 
you know, a lot of times we look back on those hardships and if you've grown in any way, shape or form, it's almost like you have to have gratitude, right? Like you, you, yeah. you don't get one side of the equation. You get both the positive and the negative and both of them add up to who you are today. So em- embracing both sides of the, the light and the dark is super key. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, that's been, um, something like looking back at it, like we talk about, she tells me stories and, you know, she treats me more like a, like an adult. Cause I act like an adult now. Right. So then she tells me stuff and she tells her side of it. And I'm just like, dude, I don't know how you did that. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Right. Like stuff that as a kid, I felt like she was doing to me on purpose. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was being, you know, purposely punished for no reason. Right. When she's like, yeah, like I wasn't home because I went from job A to job B to job C because that's what I had to do to pay the bills. Right. You know? And I'm like, shit, man, I thought you were out there partying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's doing it to you on purpose, right? She's working three dogs, yeah. three jobs to you on purpose, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's, she's working herself into the ground for, to, to me on purpose. Right. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't right. rather be at home spending time with me. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I remember, I remember having a lot of resentment toward my family as well when I was a kid, you know, coming up through those years. And then I, when I started doing some personal development work, we did an exercise where, Basically, we did a closed eye exercise where we had to sort of regress and go back and see our parents as little kids, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid, I never thought my parents were ever kids. They were just always adults. You know, they, they were just always grown. They were they came out of the <laughs> room grown up, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and we forget that these parents that we criticize or sometimes hold, you know, resentment towards had an upbringing and they had a particular training and that training either prepared them or it didn't that gave them mindsets for success or it didn't. And when I look back and I see my parents as little kids coming up through abusive environments in rural Georgia and, you know, doing the best they could with what they had, man, it just brings a tear to my eye every time. And I'm so grateful that they, you know, stuck it out and and to this day are still together. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. Props to them, dude. That's incredible. Didn't it? I mean, today, today that's, that's a monumental task in today's world. It seems. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. People don't have that kind of staying power now. It's like, as soon as, as soon as things get bad, they want to bounce. It's good. And you know, it's like, that's not what you agree to, man. <laughs> <laughs> so true, man. Which touches on a, a really key success concept. I'm sure you've, you know, brought this into your awareness as well as those. I know you're coaching now, you know, this idea of everything has to happen fast you know, in your generation, you know, what are you seeing in terms of people's commitment levels? Um, as an outsider looking in, you know, I'm a bit older than you. It seems like the commitment level has dropped. Like everybody wants everything now. And I'm just curious what your perspective on that is. Well, yeah, dude. I mean, every marketing message that someone has sold is all about right now. Right. You know, and, and it seems the more technology we get, the more exposure we have to these messages. It used to be dude, like you can go through the, the grocery store the only tabloid style message you would see would be at the grocery store on the tabloids. And that's in a specific section. And so it's like, Hey mom, like you can lose eight pounds in, in eight days. And mom's like, no dumbass, that's a tabloid. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. So those are that, that's mostly bullshit. Yeah. She's like, one person might've ever done that. And that allows them to advertise that. But yeah, beyond that, that's bullshit. I'm like, Oh, okay. Right. But now like it's everywhere. Those kind of marketing messages are everywhere. And so it's hard for people, especially the more time we spend on technology, it's hard for us to separate that what's true and what's not, right? Um, because you go on Facebook and it's like, yeah, you know, like this this guy's a crypto millionaire. He's 20 years old. He bought Bitcoin when he was 15 and now he's got a Lambo, right? 
And so people are and – and then that guy is like, oh, by the way, driving my Lambo, hey, let me tell you how to do this, right? It's only nine ninety seven, right. right? And like I'm like finding coaches all day. I am a coach. I sold – I've been doing it for four years. Um, and you know, like I've been, I've, I've put out the hypey ads too. Right. But like, that's because that's the only way to motivate people. So it's like this weird double-edged sword, right. Where you have to bring someone in and say, Hey, yeah, like you can do this. But at the same time, it's about how much work you want to put into it. Right. Um, and you know, a lot of times I, when we review sales calls, it's like this person didn't sign up, not because of the value of our offer, but because of the value they feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they're not, and that plays into what you just said. Like they feel like they should have results that are happening faster because of the things that they've just been subconsciously accepting in from marketing messages. Right. Um, and I don't know what you do about that. I, I can only complain about it. I don't have a good solution. <laughs> right. It kind of touches right? on that idea of, you know, uh, sell people what they want, but then give them what they need kind of a thing. Yeah. And on some yeah. level it's kind of bait and switchy, but then on another level, it's almost necessary. Yeah. Right. And that, that's the worst part is it is like, you have to show people amazing things that can happen. And so that you can open their minds to the possibilities. But then at the same time, you have to drag them back down and say, but this is reality though. And you are going to have to work and sacrifice. Um, and so, you know, the people I really, that I really admire are the, the coaches and entrepreneurs who show the process right in, in their content. Like, Hey, yeah. Like Gary V for example, Gary V's like, yeah, we're 20 hours a day, get four hours of sleep. Right. Do you have to do that? No. But do you, if you want to build a business like mine, you might. Right. That's just the long and short of it. Right. Yeah. I think Elon talks a lot about that as well. You know, working 80, 90, hundred hour weeks, you know, it's just, it's, there's just no shortcuts, but it seems like a lot of marketing is marketing the shortcut and it's sort of training people to, to look for that rather than, you know, sort of settling in for the long haul. You know, I know when I go through a lot of your content on Facebook, for example, you've been putting out a lot of great value and stories from your life and stories from some of your experiences. I don't think I've ever seen a hashtag win Lambo in any of it. For sure. Oh God, I, w- I wish I had a Lambo. Um, no, man. I mean, I-, I would say like where I'm at in my, in my success is like, I'm kind of in that, in, if you took my whole life, I'm in the dip right now. Yeah. Um, and that might sound weird, but it, it's, it's where I'm at. Like I'm, I went from making, you know, earlier this year, I was, I was a director at a, at a tech company, you know, making 250 K a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and right now, like finishing out this year, I've, I will probably make a fraction of that. Sure. Um, you know, because of where I want to go. So I'm take, I take a, I took a massive step back. I closed my business to work with Jesse. Um, and really to come down to what it comes down to is to learn. Like I had friends ask me like, dude, what are you doing right now? Right. And I explain it to them and they're like, you're doing sales. Like why? Because I've been a manager for, you know, I've been a, a higher level, an upper level manager for five years. And I'm like, because coaching is what I want to do. And I have the opportunity to work with someone who can teach me how to do that at a higher level. Right. Um, and then they're always like, okay, cool. Like, what's he paying you? And I'm, and I explain to them like, dude, it's commission, man. And they're like, dude, what? It doesn't make sense to them right. um, because they're all in their thirties. Right. Um, but for me, I, I read this book. I don't know if you've read it or not by Robert Greene. It's called mastery. Yeah. I love that book. I love that book. So in that book, he talks about how you have these crossroads in life or you can study under somebody who's doing something that you want to do and is a master at it, or you can take your current level of skills and go make X dollars. And he said, anytime you can take 
the path where you can study under somebody. And I got to tell you, it's easier written in a book and read than it is done. Oh God. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, that, that's where I'm at right now. Dude, I, I can so appreciate that. I mean, you know, I mean, you know a little bit about my story. I mean, we sold off a gym early this year. So, you know, I'm in middle age. I'm basically starting a new, you know, sort of business at, 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 at the same time you are. And we're experiencing a dip as well, figuring things out. And it's not easy, especially when you get into those years where everyone's gauging what you're doing in terms of material possessions. So on some, some level, you have to let go of that expectation and say, oh, well, I only have you know, like I had to, I only have three properties now instead of the five, right? It's not like we're hurting, but it's like, you know, okay, I'm not as far along as I once was because like you said, I think was really key. It's like you were halfway up the mountain and then you said, you know what, this path isn't getting me what I want. And so rather than trying to blaze a trail on that same path, you're like, all right, I'm going all the way back down the mountain and I'm coming up the other side, right? You're actually cutting a new path because you know that path will take you further. And I think a lot of times people get into that inertia of I'm on this path only, therefore I can't make a different decision. Therefore this is my life. And it's just total bullshit. You know, at the end of the day, it it comes down to ego and what other people think rather than what you really want. And dude, like you, I just refuse to live that life. Dude, for real. And I struggle with that constantly. I'm like, I've got friends of mine who are absolutely crushing it income wise, right? Like in an industry that, that I dominated. Um, and the pull to join, to go back to that is just so powerful, dude. Cause you know, we've got bills and, and I've got things I want to buy. And like, you know, there, I've got, I've got places I want to travel to. And, you know, like I'm the, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my whole life. And, and so there's all these pull, it's all pulling me in this direction. And it's, it's, it's difficult, dude, to hold on and be like, no, but this is my dream though. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if that's how it is for me, I don't even have kids. I couldn't imagine what it would be like. I couldn't do it, honestly. I just couldn't. I couldn't look my kid in the face and say, yeah, dude, sorry. We, even though I could go get a job where you could have Jordans and you could have a brand new laptop every year if you wanted it. And you could have a PS5 right now. Even though I could go get a job and do I'm not going to do that to chase my dream. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I respect anybody that can because of the, the way I just couldn't do it. So like kids is a whole other level. I'm grateful that we don't have kids right now. Uh, same, man. I'm in the exact same boat and I can appreciate where you're coming from because that adds a whole level of, of complexity and chaos that, you know, I couldn't even imagine it at this point in my life. Yeah. But it's, it's really interesting to look at that. Right. And, and consider all those pressures that you don't necessarily have to consider when you're doing quote unquote, what you're supposed to be doing. You know, I'm using the air quotes, but you're supposed yeah. to be doing, you're supposed to get a job. You're supposed to get a big high salary, not realizing that, you know, if you're making a big chunk of change, you know, almost half of it is going to taxes. So we'll just cut that in half. And then by the time, you know, you come home, you've driven to work, or maybe you're even commuting the time that you're putting in versus the time you could put into building something of your own. It just, you know, at the end of the day, it's a slower process to start, but it, you know, once it, once it crescendos, it crescendos and then you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm at right now is just like, keep going, dude. Like all these these pulls are what is, it's like, um, it's like a test, right? It's like to, Hey, how bad do you really want it? And if you stick with it, you'll get it. It's like losing weight. It's like, you know, I've lost a bunch of weight a few times in my life. And every time it's like you get down, you get a good amount of weight loss and then the scale stops and you're still working and starving and the scale just hasn't moved and you're still going. And it's like, you want to tell yourself every reason, like this isn't working or or I can't do it or all those excuses. But as soon as you pound through it, the rest of it just falls off and then you have a newfound respect for yourself. Right. Um, for sure. And that, 
yeah, I mean, that that's really, I think that's where a lot of people aren't being taught. I was never taught that. Mm-hmm. I only learned that by failing and watching other people. Yeah, but that's key, right? Like when you're, when you're seeing, when you're not seeing the result, but you know, you're putting in the time, you know, everyone has this cliched phrase. It's probably been overused a billion times today, you know, trust the process, trust the process, but they don't really know what that means, right? You're not seeing the result. You're not seeing the result, but yet you're putting in the work and there's some part of you, there's some part of the process that's still advancing you, even though you're not seeing it. Weight loss is a classic example. I I, I mean, the gym is fantastic because the gym is a metaphor for life, right? You only get what you earn. And if you don't show up, you don't get anything, you know, (laughs) no one can tax your gains. Right. So you actually get what you actually earn. And and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But like you said, you know, when you're, when you're doing a body comp thing and you're losing fat, but gaining muscle, the scale may not move. The scale is going to lie to you. It's going to laugh at you. In fact, right. It's going to dare you to eat that, that chocolate bar. And, uh, you know, that's really what trust the process or basically have faith, I think would be a better way of saying having faith in what you're doing really comes into play. Yeah. I mean, there's a story that, um, I like to tell to salespeople when it comes to that, because trust the process is one of my, is one of, yeah, my salespeople that work for me hate me saying that. Cause that's why I say, trust the process, trust the process. It's like the modern cat poster, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh man, that's hilarious actually. So, uh, you know, a few years ago I got into, um, finance, you know, uh, auto, like auto refinance, refinancing cars. And this is a place where they had the sales board up and they would show how much money every guy was making, right? And the top guy every month made like 20, 25K. Next guy made like 18, then 15, then 12, 10, and then everybody else made like four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came in there with a lot of sales experience, even at that time. That's, this was, shoot, seven years ago now. And I was, you know, just Mr. Cocky, like, oh, I'm going to crush this you know, no problem. I got this. And it was tough, dude. That job was tough. There's so many factors and, um, so many things that could go wrong. And, and the process was difficult getting people approved, getting them to agree to it, explaining the numbers There's so many things to learn. And they taught us a, a flawless sales process at first. So you come into training and you go training for two weeks. They teach you the process, how to sell, how to explain it, all that stuff. And then you're in like a kind of an incubator for another few weeks, but you just can't wait to get out of there because you feel like a baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's looking over your shoulder, making sure you're doing everything. So as soon as I got out of there, then I got on the phone. I started doing my own thing. And dude, like like three or four months in, I remember thinking, I was actually telling Megan, I was like, Megan's my wife. I was like, Megan, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like, I suck at this at this job. You know, like I left a six-figure job to come here to make multiple six figures and I'm making half that. Like, what am I doing? Like, why do I suck so bad? And she's like, I don't think you suck. She's like, you said you're going to give it six months. You've only given it four. Why do you want to quit right now? And so I was like, oh, because my ego's hurt. You know, like it hurts to, to fail. Um, and she's like, okay. She's like, well, can your ego survive another two months? Like, why don't you just give it another two months? And I was like, yeah, you know, that's what I said I was going to do. So that's what I'll do. I'll give, another, I'll give it another couple months. And so the very next month after that, I wrote on my, I wrote a goal down. I had never written a goal down before for this job. I wrote a goal down um, and I didn't, and I started working and I went to my, the guy who trained me, I was like, dude, what am I doing wrong? He listened to my calls. And what he told me, he's like, dude, you're not doing anything I taught you. You know, you're just doing your own thing. You're just getting on the phone, wild, wild, wild west style. And I was like, well, yeah, but I know how to sell. He's like, dude, come on, man. Like this, this I taught, I'm giving you the golden ticket and you're basically telling me that uh, you, know where to find the gold, but that you just haven't found it yet. Does that make sense? 
you know? And I was like, oh shit, man, you're right. He's like, dude, just try it, man. Just try it for a month. I was like, okay. So I had my goal. I was reignited because, you know, my wife has got my back and she's like, hey, just stick it out. And then he, I got him telling me, hey, follow the process, trust the process. And I got on the phone and that month, dude, that month I made more money than I'd ever made in my entire life in one, in a single month. It was like $16,000. And ever, and then from then on, I never made less than 10 there. And in fact, I think that that year I, I ended up making like 180K, which for me was just incredible. Like I just couldn't believe it. Um, but it was all because of following that process and, and sticking it through. I mean, he used to tell that story to new, to new hires. He'd be like, dude, Justin, you see the guy at the top of the board, you know, every month, like that guy couldn't make it. He wanted to quit. He came to me and talked to me about it and got him doing the process. And now he's crushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was that, that job and following that process and sticking to it, no matter what is what propelled me into management for the first time, what propelled me into coaching. Um, and what showed me like, Hey man, you know, you really are worth multiple six figures because you can do it and you can stick with it. That's amazing, man. And there's such a, there's such a power in that that you set yourself aside and actually, you know, did what was required, right? You get, yeah. someone's giving you the keys to the kingdom. And, and it's so funny. We go into these training situations. I know I've done it. I'm guilty of it. And someone gives me the keys to the kingdom and then I don't use them. You know, I'm bringing too much me and not enough them. You know, it's just the craziest yeah. thing. Yeah, man. And it's like, well, if I hadn't, if I had it, I wouldn't need you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like logically it makes sense, you know, it's, it, but like you said, you know, Captain Ego pops up and it's like, well, shit, I already know this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, especially for men, like we don't want to, at least for me, like I, I never wanted to be like, I need help. Right. Right. I never want to be the guy that needs help. Even today I struggle with that. Like struggle with my wife, like, Hey, I need help with this. You know? sure. She's like, Why, what's wrong with that? I was like, I just don't want to. I want you to know I need help. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah for sure. Yeah. It's funny as men, I mean, especially we're not taught the power of vulnerability, but when you think about it, you know, like the, it's really easy to illustrate. Like if you go out with the guys, right. And you're at the bar, I mean, we're both married, so we don't do this. <laughs> if you're a bunch of, bunch of guys, you're out at the bar, you see the hot chick across the room and all of the, all of your boys are scared to talk to her, you know, scared to walk up to her. And then all of a sudden one guy, you know, you know, liquored up or whatever it is, he, 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 he scrounges up enough strength to walk across the room and he walks across the room and he makes his play and all the other guys are watching intently. Right. And what happened was he just put himself in a vulnerable position. He just put himself in a place where he might potentially get shot down really, really bad. And everybody in the room knows it and everybody in the room respects it because they weren't willing to put themselves in that vulnerable place and say, you know what, listen, I am going to do this thing and see what happens, right? It's the guy that says, I'm going to see what happens that gets all the respect. And that's where the power is. And a lot of times as men, we're just taught, you know, you know, we know all the answers and don't ask for help and all this kind of crap. But the power is in that vulnerable piece when you're walking yeah. across the room, right? And, and, and all eyes are trained on you. It doesn't matter if you succeed or fail because you already did something no one else was willing to do. Totally, totally, man. I, I remember, um, one of my really good managers, when I first became a sales manager, he said, Hey man, the most important or the most powerful phrase that you can utter as a sales manager is the words, I don't know. Mm. What do you think? Wow. Power. You know, he's like, you know, your people usually know, dude, they just need your back. They just need to know you have their back and they need to know that you, uh, trust what they think. And if you do that, then they'll trust themselves and then they won't need you as much. Yes. Right. 
Um, and so that was, I ignored that advice for like my first, you know, year or so, because I wanted to be the guy, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be, you know, Hey, like I've read all these books and I know all about sales and I've got this track record and I can help you, you know, but I found every, I'd give someone all the advice and they wouldn't take it. Right. Cause they got their own advice. Right. Um, and usually it was very similar to what I was going to say anyway. So by just asking them like, do what do you think? You know, I, they would be like, well, I think this. And I'm like, oh shit, actually that's, that's what I was going to say. Definitely. Why don't you just do that? Like, well, I just didn't know if it would work. Well, you know, I don't know if it's going to work either, man. Go try it. For sure. And then you know, from there, then they get all that confidence. And that's really what you want in salespeople. You want to just develop their confidence. Absolutely, man. That's well said. Beautiful. You know, it's amazing. We've touched on quite a few concepts that are key in, you know, growing a business, selling, you know, staying in the fight for what it is that you want to create. But interestingly, none of this stuff is taught in school or college. And I know you have some interesting opinions on college. Yeah. So let's dive into that world a little bit. Um, tell me a little bit about what we were talking a little bit off mic, uh, in the pre-interview about some of your, your thoughts on college and how, you know, it really doesn't prepare people for what they really are going to face in the world when they get out there. You know, how did you come to this realization? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, man. Um, and college is a scam. I'll tell you why. So when I was, it's not a scam for everybody. For most people, it is. Depends what you want to do. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. Okay, so is college a scam for doctors? No, not at all. Because those are very specialized skills that you can really only you really can't you become a doctor based on experience, right? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to that doctor at least. So that in that in that regard, it makes sense. But I wanted to be a doctor, um, but as I got into high school, I realized that I hate doing schoolwork, and so. I couldn't wait to get out of school, dude. Like I was, I was in like advanced classes, like um, it's called international baccalaureate where they were like, yeah, this kid's really smart. We got to put him in these, in these harder classes and challenge him. I could barely pay attention. And they're like, you're just not challenged. You just need to heart. And it's like, Oh, you just need hours and hours of homework and more challenging classes. And that's not what I needed, dude. I needed to find a way to focus. And I need to get more sleep at night. That's what I needed. Um, but it's like, anyways, so <laughs> I'm looking at it and, and my mom loved that, right? She's like, oh, you want to be a doctor? You're going to make so much money and this and this. And I'm looking at, I get two years into high school and then I get kicked out of the IB program because I fail the whole semester. They're like, yeah, sorry. You know, yeah, we know you're smart, but we just don't know what's wrong with you. Um, why you can't complete your schoolwork, right? And so I'm looking at this going, okay, I could still get into like, I could still recover. I could go to community college, get good grades there. Um, you know, I can pull, I can pull this back together. And then I was just like, but dude, that's going to be okay. I got two more years of high school, four years of undergrad, four years of med school, two years of residency, and then I'm a doctor. So I've got 12 more years of, there's no way I'll make it. Mm-hmm. I just came to terms with it one day. Just like, there's no way I'll be able to do this. I hate it. I hate every second of it. I hated school, dude. Like it was, it was pointless. I didn't understand why I had to learn in school and then go home and keep learning. When do I get time for me? Right. Um, anyways, that, that's a different fight. So, but I was like, but I, in my mind, I'm like, I still need to go to college though. So what can I do? Well, I was a geek, right? Uh, I was a huge geek, introverted. I, I probably had a hand, 10 friends in high school total. Um, and I liked computers. So I was like, I'll, I'll do computer science, right? Okay, cool. So I, when I graduated high school, I could barely slip by. Graduate high school, I, you know, applied for college. At the time, I was working, and I got in. I mean, I got, I didn't get into the school I wanted to get into, but I got into community college. Oh, thank God. Um, and 
I was working at Circuit City and I remember bringing my schedule in to my boss and I'm like, hey, like we got to work. Can you help me work out like what classes I should register for and what's going to be best for for the department, um, you know, for me not to be here. Right. And he goes, oh, he's like, well, dude, the thing was, is I was actually going to uh, talk to you about a promotion today. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, he's like, and we need an assistant manager and that's full time hours. And it's like, you know, four or five dollars more a month, four or five dollars more an hour. And then you get into the management training program and then you can be a manager like me and make 70K. Right. <laughs> right. And so at the time, though, I'm like, I mean, you give a starving dog a cracker. He's the best goddamn cracker he's ever eaten. <laughs> and so I'm like, dude, uh, let's I'm like, OK. So I was like, OK, well, how do I make this work? And he starts looking. He's like, it's not going to work, dude. Like, you're going to be full time here. These classes are in the middle of the day. Like, I don't know, man, you kind of got to decide, like, do you want to go to school or do you want to be a manager? And, you know, at the time I was like, I want to make money, dude. Like I wanted to move out of my house. I had this, I had this piece of shit truck, like this 1987 two wheel drive Ford Ranger, the four cylinder, no radio. Um, and I wanted to buy a new car. And so I wanted to move out and get out of my mom's house. Um, and so I'm like, no, okay, I'll be a manager. I'll, I'll put school off for a little bit. So that's what I did. So, um, I did that and I, and then from there, I just never went back. I didn't go back for a few years. I went back when I was 23. That was when I was 18. I went back when I was 23 and I remember sitting in class and I'm, they're teaching me shit. I already know. I, I can't tell you how fucking pissed I was, dude. Cause at that time, so I worked at circuit city. Then I worked at into it. Uh, I went through circuit city's management training program. Um, and like, I'm sitting in this accounting class and I'm going, dude, this is easy. I'm like pounding through it and like filling it out. And like the guy next to me is like, do you already know this? I was like, kind of, I mean, it just makes sense. He's like, how does it just make sense? And I'm like, that's a good question. And then I think back, well, I had to do this at circuit city. I had to build P and L's for my job at circuit city as part of, as part of being the assistant manager. Um, I had to build these spreadsheets for, in, at Intuit as part of doing this. I was, I was learning business concepts at Intuit because we were considered business consultants. So every class I did, except for like, I, I learned a lot in business law, actually. That was interesting. And I learned a lot in English, matter of fact. I mean, I like English. We read Frankenstein. But like, it just felt, I was so pissed because I wasted so much money. I was like, hold on a second. I paid you guys $800 to teach me something I already know. And you're going to grade me on it and tell me, good job. You already know this. I'm like, I knew that. Right. And so I just, after a couple semesters, I almost, I almost got the, the two-year degree, the associates. And I just didn't, I just couldn't bring myself to go back. Because I was just like, I'm going to go back and learn more about what I already know. Um, and then I, I, I started thinking about it and like, I was getting jobs without the degree. I realized that my, the only thing stopping me was me. Like I would see jobs that would say like bachelor's degree required and I'd apply anyway. And they would call me. And so I'm like, bachelor's degree required. That's bullshit. You guys just put that on and they filter people out. You just filter the week out with that. Okay. Right. So I kind of came to this realization. And then, you know, the more I see people going through college and, and my friends and like I have friends that went through college and got a specialized degree, like an engineering degree or a doctor of physical therapy or um, counseling, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They went on to have excellent careers and get paid and all that. Right. Sure. And I have friends that went and got marketing degrees and business degrees and um Arts degrees, which is debatable. If arts is really your thing, that's cool. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and English degrees. I mean, dude, I remember working it into it. Okay, I'm 22 years old. No, sorry, 21 years old. 
working into it. And I looked at the guy to my right and I'm like, Hey, like we're talking. And he's like, so where'd you go to school? I was like, Oh, I didn't really finish. He's like, yeah, where'd you go? I was like community college. He's like, Oh, I was like, where'd you go? He goes Dartmouth. I was like, Oh, cool. I was like, what'd you, what'd you get a degree? And he goes economics. I'm like, how, how'd you end up doing this job? He's like, best job I could find. Mm. I was like, how'd you, he goes, how'd you end up? I was like, best job I could find. <laughs> right. Like it, it just, and everybody in that place, yeah, I swear, not everybody, but like, dude, like I swear every other guy in their basic white guy had an economics degree from some well-known university. And I'm going, what did you guys go? You guys went and, and party for four years. Right. Right. Um, like I can do that without paying a hundred grand. Yeah. They got a degree in quarters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a degree in beer pong. Like you, you, yeah. you uh, in beer exactly. pong and, and minored in flip cup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. I love what Elon yeah. says about that. Right. Like he's, it's like college is proof that you can do your chores, but it, it's not going to help you in the real world. Like if, and if you think about it, right. I remember when I was coming out, of, I did go to college and I wish that I had started a business sooner, but I did go to college and I remember applying for jobs and not feeling uh, worthy of the job. Kind of like what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, with the bachelor's degree. Oh, I don't have that. Therefore, you know, I should just weed myself out kind of a thing. Yeah. And then when I became a business owner, I realized that the business owner doesn't give two shits about the piece of paper hanging in your wall. All they care about is, can you do the result? Can you give me the result I want? That's it. That right? is it, man. And so if I had showed up on their doorstep with like a list of accomplishments, like I did this, 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 and this, they'd probably give me a shot. Dude. I mean, and that's, that's the long and short of it. I mean, I remember when I, um, when I left the auto refi industry, I had a non-solicit agreement. So I couldn't go work in the auto refine industry again. Mm. And so I had to go find a, a director level job in the tech industry or some other industry, right? I chose the tech industry and I applied for a bunch of jobs. I didn't get a bunch of callbacks, but I only need one job. Right? That's right. Um, and I remember going in there and I had that in the back of my mind because it's like, this is a director level job, dude. Like what if they ask about my degree and they never did. And I remember sitting at, at, um, like two months after I got hired, I was like, we were at lunch with my boss, the VP. And he's like, yeah. He's like, Justin, where'd you go to school, dude? And I was like, Oh, I didn't actually go. He's like, what? I was like, I didn't go. He's like, how did, what do you mean? I was like, I just, I didn't go to college. He's like, Oh, how did you get this job? And I was like, well, you hired me. He's like, I would have never guessed. I was like, he's like, I'm surprised they even called you. I was like, well, do I write a very convincing cover letter? Mm-hmm. He goes, Okay, that makes sense why I got this job. There you go. That's it. You can produce the result. That's all they care about. That's all they care about, dude. Right. When I'm hiring people, I don't look at their... Uh, the only way I looked at their at their college is if they didn't have work experience. That's right. Right? And so like I'm here, if you're out there listening to this and you're at a shitty job that you hate and you think you can't go and get a better job right now, I'm telling you, you can't. I have, I have laddered my way up to the very... Not the very top, but close to the very top. Of, of corporations. And if I was still doing it, I'd probably be on my way to the, to the higher top, right. Uh, without a degree. And that's purely by just doing what Jason just said, which is showing them that you can do what they want you to do as a business. Yeah. As a, as a leader, dude, I'm going through resumes. I don't care. I'm looking for the skills and I'm looking at how their resumes laid out and what they've done in the past. I really care about what you've done in the past. I don't care about your college. Um, I think it's impressive. Like if you went to Harvard or you went to Brown or you went to an Ivy league school and you graduated and got a degree, I think that's impressive. I'm impressed. Mm -hmm. Um, but that really I've found doesn't predict whether or not you're going to do well at my job. 
That's right, man. And speaking of which, right, I mean, a lot of this touches on some of the skill set that I believe that we've sort of talked around and that being this idea that you need to have some grit, right? You need to have some determination. You need to develop your skills, you know, and I'm curious from your perspective now with all the experience you've acquired, you know, do you think these are things that are teachable? Do you think these are things that are sort of, you know, hardwired into the brain at birth? You know, what's your thought on that? Oh, it's definitely teachable, man. It's definitely teachable because I mean, I'm, I'm living proof of it. So, I mean, if you talk to me 10 years ago, you would not want me as a guest on your show. Mm. Um, you know, 10 years ago, let's see, what was that? 2011. Yeah. So 2011, you know, I spent 40 hours at work and I spent the other 40 hours of life on world of Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> you had two jobs. I had two jobs. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was like. <laughs> oh shit. Um, <laughs> and you know, when it came to anything going wrong in my life, it was always somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came to my relationships, it was always them. It was never me. And, you know, I remember my, in 2012, my girlfriend at the time we broke up, we were living together. We broke up, she moved out. Um, and she went back home. She was from California and she went back home. I moved in with a, with a friend of mine and he turned out to be, uh, unfortunately turned out to be an addict. And kind of, we were playing poker professionally to make it, to get by, didn't have a job. I gotten fired from into it. Um, I got fired from into it because I put a guy on hold, the, the guy called in for help and I told him the solution to his problem. And he goes, that's not it. I've tried that. And in my mind, I'm like, you didn't try that. Cause you wouldn't be calling me if you tried that. Cause that will work. And so I was like, okay, let me see if there's another solution. So I put him on hold and I went and browsed Reddit for five minutes and then came back. I was like, dude, there's no other solution, man. Just try that again. And he goes and he goes, oh, I tried it and it worked. I'm like, perfect. Yeah. Have a good day. It turns out my boss had chosen that time to kind of shadow me on my computer and see what I was doing. And he watched the whole thing go down and watched me browse funny cat pictures for five minutes. Or <laughs> <I was on hold. laughs> and yeah, so he let me go. So um, oh, we were awesome. playing poker professionally to, to get by. He was an addict and I, I knew, but I didn't know the depth of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day I came home and he had taken my bankroll. It was, it was a you know, five-figure bankroll. Um, okay. And he had bounced town. And we had, we had an eviction notice on the didn't pay rent. I'd give him pay rent and pay rent. And I had to go back home and, and move in with my mom. And I did, hadn't, didn't have shit to my name. And like, I remember being at the Goodwill cause I'd lost a bunch of weight. And so I needed a suit. I was going to go get an interview at Best Buy. Mm-hmm. And so I needed a suit and I was at Goodwill and I got my suit and I was looking through the book section and I saw a used copy of Grant Cardone's Seller Be Sold. Have you read that? I have not, no. Oh man, that's a classic. That's that's a good one. I'm gonna have to pick um, it up. Yeah, it's it's a good one. And it was like two bucks. So I was like, okay, I can spare two bucks. And I bought that book and I went home and I read it. And when there was a line that stuck out to me, I ended up reading the book like over and over and over again. But the one line stuck out to me is like, life doesn't happen to you, life happens because of you. Mm. And when I really took that in, it was like, you know, and I started looking around and I started going, okay, can I track back how I was like, let me see if I can prove him wrong. And I'm like, all right, I moved in with Ricky. Okay. Ricky was an addict. Did you know that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Ricky took your money. And why did Ricky, why was Ricky able to take your money? Cause you didn't have it in the bank. Well, why did you have it in the bank? Well, because you're afraid that the, the uh, company that repoed your car would take it out of the bank. Um, because you owed them 10 grand still. Okay. That's definitely my fault. And I just did this for everything I wasn't happy with in my life. And it just, 
I thought it would make me depressed, but it, it, it empowered me. It was like, fuck, okay, well, if I made those bad decisions, I can also make good decisions and I can, I can make it out, right? Whereas before I felt like a total victim, like I felt like I had no control. I felt like these bad things just kept happening to me because I'm me and I'm cursed, right? And it's like, no, dude, it's because of what you're deciding to do. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that, that when people make that switch, some people never do, but when people make that switch, that's what changes in my opinion. Dude, that is freaking beautiful. I mean, this journey from, you know, victimhood to being responsible for your life. Right. And as I'm listening to you, one of the words or one of the phrases that comes to my mind is from the great copywriter, you know, uh, Gary Halbert. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but Mm -hmm. one thing he said was there's no problem that a good sales letter can't solve. (laughs) And in all of your problems, in all of your, you know, sort of learnings, if you will, you found a way to sell yourself into a better position, you know, whether it was a conversation or an interview or now commission sales. And so I'm curious, you know, from this perspective, when you look at the world of sales and what it takes to be successful, you know, what are maybe one or two of the key ingredients that a salesperson needs to have in order to make it in that world? Yeah. Um, I think about this a lot. Um, so I'm glad you asked. I think about this a lot. So I used to think that it was a personality traits. I used to think that you had to be really gregarious and friendly. And, and then I used to think you had to be really strong and like, you know, hold the frame. Um, but now what I realize is you really just have to, you have to be able to understand the person and have empathy in every situation where I look at, I talk my way into something incredible is because I understood what that person wanted and I was able to show them how I can help them get it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, when I got my job at Intuit, like I remember sitting there talking to the guy and I just instantly knew what he wanted. He wanted somebody who he felt was going to be smart enough to pick up the software and also friendly enough and engaging enough to sell people on uh, the, you know, add-ons. And so I just communicated to him about my past and working at Circuit City and how I was a manager. And, you know, I just kind of showed him what he wanted to see. Um, and, dude, I learned that from my mom, actually. It's funny. My mom's one of the best to ever do it, dude. You want a real salesperson, dude? Like my mom. Let's get her on, man. I mean, she, I'll get, I do. She, she <laughs> could blow your mind, man. She is, uh, she is one of the best. She was trying to sell me the night on some shit. I was like, you're the best to ever do it. You didn't, I didn't even see that coming. Mom, get her slow down on that shit. <laughs> you, better, you better get her book published, man. Dude, for dude, for real, right? <laughs> um, but no, I mean that's, I mean, and that's really that's where I learned it from because my mom had, my mom had to do the same thing. You know, she she had to sell, um, you know, people into helping her in different ways and for things that she needed that she didn't have enough. She had to convince me to keep going to school and why it would make sense for me to graduate high school when I didn't think I could. Like she, I mean, if you want to talk about sales being the one skill, like. It, that that skill carried her. I mean, now she's a she's a commercial insurance agent. She makes quarter million dollars a year um, because of her sales ability and because of her ability to stick with it. So that's the second thing I would say. So the first thing would be empathy, and the second thing would be stick with itness. Mm-hmm. Right? In any sales job, you got to decide up front how long am I going to stick with it. Not when you're in it, because you're you're going to sell yourself short when you're in it. You got to decide up front. You go into that. All right, how long am I going to stick with it? Every sales job I've ever had, you know. Sales orgs are so few, they're so vast. You can go sell anywhere. Everybody needs a sales team, right? Um, but so few of them are really good. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are boiler rooms. 
And so every sales job I've ever went into has always been, all right, man, my expiration date is this. If I'm not making the money they promised me to make, if there's not warm leads, if there's not whatever, whatever, by this date, I'm out, right? Because I'm a salesperson. I can go anywhere. Right. Right. And so that's, that's the thing is, is you decide up front and stick with it until that point. And then, you know, the third thing is to follow up, you know, like you, it's a, it's a number one miss for salespeople everywhere is follow up because we think that because someone told us no one time that that meant no forever. And it's just not the case, dude. I've had, I've just, I mean, any, any salesperson that's been in the game for any period of time agrees with that, but very few of them actually follow it. Mm. You know, most salespeople treat leads like scratch off tickets. They're like, all right, cool. Like I called the guy. He didn't buy shit. Right. And they move on. Right. Dude, that is <laughs> so perfect. That's the perfect analogy. Right. And that's not how it is, dude. They're, they're not scratch tickets. They're seeds. That's right. Right. It's like I planted the seed. It didn't grow this week. Okay. I'll keep watering it. Mm-hmm. You know, one day that thing will turn into a massive tree. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had that happen where, um, I mean, dude, I still have people that I, that I tried to sell, uh, my individual coaching services earlier this year that are reaching out to me now about coaching. Right. And it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, that would have been nice, you know, 10 months ago, but, uh, I'm doing this other thing now. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like the parable of the pipeline, right? You, you always got to have something going in if you expect something to come out the other end. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's a, that's a good one too. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, like the thing that makes sales easiest is having a lot of opportunities. You know, if you only have, you think about it like this, you go on vacation, right. And you bring, and you bring enough, you say you go to Mexico, right? And you bring 20 bucks and 20 bucks turns into five pesos or 20 pesos over there. And you want to go and go on a paragliding tour down in Mexico and that costs 10 pesos. Well, you got to really want to be doing that fucking paragliding, right? Because that's half of your whole budget. Then margaritas are two pesos. You know, that only leaves you, that's one night of drinking, right? But if you go down there with 2,000 pesos, then you can paraglide. You can drink till till you till you puke. You can take a camel ride or not camel ride. You can take a, a donkey ride. You can go into the into the forest. You can go on the beach. You can I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff, and you're not worried about spending that money. So it's the same way uh, with sales. If you've got a fat pipeline and somebody blows up, it doesn't matter. You're like, oh, cool, peace out, no problem, right? But if you if you have a small pipeline, you only got five deals working, and one of them blows up. It's like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills now. Yeah. It's like the end of the world suddenly. It's the end of the, yeah. Yeah. And I used to try to explain this to guys in the refi industry because deals will blow up in your face for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, guys, if you had more deals working, you wouldn't care. That's right. Right. And when you don't care, that's the best place to sell from. Because you're just like, hey man, I'm just giving you the information. Do it or don't. I really don't care. I got five other people, you know, like... I try to book as many sales calls in one day for myself because I'm like, hey, man, if you don't do this, I'm sure the other five people I'm talking to later will. It's right. up to you. Right. I love that, man. <clears throat> You're sort of, you know, sort of touching on this idea of posture, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of times I know from the industry that I sold out of the gym world, a lot of times people would posture from weakness. They would posture from I need you. I need you in my mm-hmm. gym. I need you in my business. And I was I always tried to communicate the fact that you don't need them. Right. But when right. you have one lead that week, you need that person. The truth you do, is you yeah, do need that person. Cool. But if you've yeah. got two or three leads every day, you don't need that person. You don't. You don't. Yeah. 
And so developing that skill set just to bring someone, to bring yourself in the presence of a potential prospect, it, man, it, it puts so many fears to bed. It really does, dude. And, and prospecting is like the number one thing people are afraid of. And it's like, if you just master that one skill, you don't have to be a good salesperson. You don't, dude, because there are going to be people who want to just buy it just because they like you or just because they happen to need it. And if you have enough of those people in front of you, you're, you're going to close them. Absolutely. Um, you know, but if you, you know, I, I hear we would argue all the time over the spray and pray approach or the sniper approach. We'd argue about that on the sales floor all the time. Um, and I'm like, well, you need to be both. But if you could only be one, you got to be a spray and pray. I'm sure you had a few people disagreeing with you there, huh? For sure. Because those <laughs> guys want to believe they're, they're elite closers, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so good at closing. I'm so good at closing. And I mean, I go back and forth on that, dude. Like, I really wonder sometimes, like, how much does the salesperson really matter? Right. Right. I wonder a lot about it. Yeah. Obviously, you can tell like, okay, same salespeople, same group of customers. But like at a certain point, when does your, when do you really need to get better sales skills versus you need to get better lead building skills? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the salesperson matters to the effect of, you know, okay, it's time to collect money. You know, I remember, um, my dad used to own a couple TV stores, right. And we had generally two salespeople in each and there was one guy who would just kill it every month. And then there was another guy. Um, and then the good salesperson's name was Lynn. He used to make fun of him. He'd say, watch this. We'd watch him take a sale. And I was like, I don't know, eight or nine years old. He'd say, watch this. He's going to talk him out of the sale. Right. So the person would basically be already to the point where they're ready to sign. And he would just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking and never shut up. And the person was finally just like, look, you know, I'm out of here. I, I wanted it, but you know, I'm done. You know, so there's, there's some, there's something to say for having that basic skill set where you know when to shut up, you know, you know how to posture, you know, when to ask for the deal. Um, and the right person is not going to say no nine times out of 10. Right. But you can definitely talk the right person out of a deal. If you're just an ignorant of your, of how you're showing up of your awareness in that situation. Totally. Yeah, man, I can't tell you how many deals I've bought back in my day uh, after they were sold. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, that's really where the empathy comes in. If you have empathy, you can see the person starting to wane and starting not to pay attention to you. And I would tell people, dude, like, what's your, you know, I tell my salespeople, what's your attention span? How long can you really pay attention for? 15 seconds? Okay then what makes you think your customer wants to listen to you blabber for two fucking minutes? <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, generally I'm at a point right now where like, you know, I've been on both sides of the table. So when I talk to a salesperson, I, I already have empathy for what they're going to go through, mm-hmm. you know? So unless the person just offends me, I'm generally not going to say no if I'm on the call. And so for me, I just generally sit there and wait for the punchline. You know, like <laughs> I did that with Jesse, you know, like Jesse was asking me if I'm in or not. I'm like, dude, I'm just waiting for the punchline, you know? <laughs> You know, he's like, oh, here's Dude, the and that's how, Yeah. And that's really how it feels like, like the deals where you feel like you really convince the person are always the ones that blow up later. The person <laughs> <wasn't really ready. laughs> it's kind of funny, but yeah, being sensitive to that, man, I think that's really huge. And it's amazing how many people aren't like, you're not sensing the, the person's energy that you're speaking to and not cueing off their body language or their, the inflections in their voices. And you can really make some, some massive mistakes that way. Um, you know, I think, uh, now that you're in this position where you are, you know, doing something new, you're head of sales at HBL and, you know, you're working with other people, you're bringing in prospects, you guys are working leads online and this sort of thing. You know, what are some of the, the pitfalls that you think someone going into that world 
can really avoid uh, just from the get go when they're starting that business, when they're starting into that organic sales piece? Yeah, I would say like, you know, not everything is data. Um, you know, something that comes up for our clients a lot that I coach them around is like, oh man, I sent out 50 messages yesterday and nobody responded. Mm. Right. And it's like, okay, so what are you, what are you making that mean? Mm. Right. And it always comes down to like, well, it means they don't like me or it means that I'm not good. Or it means that I, what I have isn't valuable. And it's like, no, it doesn't mean any of that, dude. It means he had an unlucky day. Right. Or, uh, I mean, dude. I've been, you know, I've been in the online space for, for a few years. And I remember when I first started like posting stuff online and you get two likes and it's like, fuck, like what's the secret, you know? And, uh, I learned from a guy, Ryan Stuman. And if you don't know him, I don't know if you know him I or do not, know but him, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I learned from Ryan Stuman and I remember one time he posted in the group of memory. He posted in the apex group, like a memory of, of something that he posted where it was like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. It's $97. Like, you know, learn how to get leads in your mortgage business or whatever. And it was from 2000, it was like 2012. And it had one like and one comment. Right. And I was like, okay, okay. Like all I have to do is, is be like Stuman. And that's easier said than done too. But he's, he, his whole point was consistency. He's right. like, dude, this is, this is 2017. This was five years ago. I made this post. I got one comment and one like. Now it's 2017. I make a post and, like this and I, I might get 20 likes and 20 comments right. like it takes time and and that response was nothing indicated nothing about my offer or about me or what i was doing it only indicated that i hadn't been doing what i'm doing long enough that i needed to get more eyes on it and that's what i got to work on that's amazing what a powerful yeah. reframe right yeah. it totally changed it for me that's fantastic and it's just like not taking this not taking it personally you know not making up a negative story about the experience itself but just seeing it for what it is. I think it's, I think it's Tony Robbins that says, you know, you want to see things as they are, but not worse than they are. And yes. we have a tendency as human beings to make things worse than they are. Yeah, totally. Totally. Because everything, especially when it comes to marketing online, everything in your being, at least if you're me, everything in your being is like, don't do this. Right. Right. Like you're putting yourself out there. People are going to judge you. Um, you know, you can't even make good content. There's so much other better content out there like all the stories, you know? Oh yeah. And everything in your being is saying, and the only way through it is to fight through it and do it anyway and see like, oh, okay, it is okay. I love and some that. stuff, I mean, dude, I would make a post and it would get like one like or two likes and then I would stop posting for a week. Yes. Fastest way to just, to just cement that problem. Right. Right. Uh, rather than say, now I look at it, like I was telling them the other day, the other day in the organic trading, I was like, guys, the audience, your audience will tell you what they like. That's the only thing that, that your likes is indica- indicative of is did they like that? Right. And if the answer is no, don't post something like that again. Go look at the stuff they did like and go, okay, how do I, repl- what, what could they have liked about this mm-hmm. and replicate that. Um, and when you do that over and over and over again, eventually you'll just have a, a fingertip feel for what they like. Yes. Um, but you, there's no replacement for I think people want the replacement for that, for that rejection and for that hard work, you know, and in sales, it's not the time because you're going to have five conversations to close one. So in the five, you're going to, you're going to have four people saying, let me think about it. Let me talk to my so-and-so no, which is actually rarer than people think. Um, or, you know, I can't afford it. You're going to have all those things to have the one person go, fuck yeah, I'm in, let's do this. Right. 
right? I love that. So if you judge yourself by those four, you think, oh, I suck, but really you just need that. That's how it is. hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely a numbers game, you know, and I know that, yeah. you know, and listening to you, I can tell that we can definitely learn a lot from your experiences going from station to station in life, business to business, and now in this new role that you have, but I want to honor our time and make sure I get you out of here in some reasonable fashion. So, For sure. you know, given what you've um, experienced and what you're growing and building at this point, you know, what does success look like for you at this point? Yeah. You know, success for me looks like freedom, Mm. you know, freedom to, to do, do work that you really enjoy and that fulfills you and that, uh, you feel like you're contributing, you know, um, if you're sitting in a cubicle and writing lines of code and that just lights you up because you see it do something great. If you're doing that same job and it doesn't light you up, then you're not free, man. You're a slave. hundred percent. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more with that, brother. And, you know, to everyone who's interested in learning more about you and learning a little bit about what it is you're doing online, because I know you're working a lot with high level individuals and entrepreneurs who want to help build their businesses. You know, what's the best way for them to reach out to you or, or make contact with you? Yeah, honestly, the best way is uh, through Facebook, man. Like I'm Justin Mark on Facebook. Um, if you search that, you know, I'm pretty much the only person will come up and you can see like I have the it says head of sales to have a base lifestyle. And that's me, man. Like I'm, I'm more than happy to chat with you. If you just want to follow my content, um, I share, you know, basically the stuff I'm going through on a day-to-day basis, tell stories, try to make you laugh. Um, and occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll make an offer to, to help you with some value. So, you know, that's, that's definitely the best way to connect with me. Cool deal. I'll link all that up in the show notes and make sure that that's available to everyone. And, you know, maybe we can get you to come back on in the future and we can dive deeper into some of these concepts because I know as we got into the sales stuff, I started getting really excited and I've got about 10 more questions, <laughs> but I don't want to keep you here all yeah, night, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my last question is always the same brother. And that is, you know, what does wellness look like for you at this point? Yeah. You know, I would say wellness looks like, you know, that's a good question. Wellness looks like forgiveness and love, man. Mm. I mean, if you can look at somebody who cuts you off in traffic and say, ah, I forgive you. You're just a human. Then you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, oh, I forgive you. You're just a human. For sure, man. For sure. I love that. That's probably one of the most succinct answers I've ever received. And I appreciate that because everyone answers it a little bit differently. And every time they do, I gain a little bit more perspective. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on the show. It's really, it was really fun. Definitely, man. Thanks for being on. I'll definitely reach out at the future and uh, see if we can set, set up a time to come back and maybe just talk strictly sales. Now that we know a little bit more about you, I know that people are going to be, especially the people who are build, building businesses and marketing. I know they'd love to pick your brain and learn more about you and maybe even reach out to you. So let's definitely plan on doing that. And until then, on behalf of Justin, Mark and myself, guys, we will see you in the next episode. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.